Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel. This week I've got three episodes for you. That's because I've got a really long interview with Todd Miller of my team and Todd and I recorded this last week and it's so chock full of information and I try and keep my podcast below the half hour mark. So you will have parts one, parts two, and parts three of my interview with Todd Miller, former regional capital market specialist and director of special actions at NCUA and member of uh, my team at Credit Union Exam Solutions. We will discuss model risk, Silicon Valley Bank, the economy, and NCUA's response to all of it during these next three episodes. I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm here today with a member of my team, Todd Miller. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today, Mark. Glad to hear it. So Todd, you and I have been busy with, with a lot of things with our clients. The world's been busy since we last chatted on the podcast with Silicon Valley Bank and a few a few other banks that have failed. And, you know, very, but what was it? Shakespeare said, may you live in interesting times. And then also you and I recently did a presentation to some risk officers of, of several large credit unions. And what, when you put a PowerPoint together relative to that, I thought, hey, this this information here would be good for a podcast. We hadn't chatted on the podcast. I've I've talked a lot of, about Silicon Valley Bank on the on the on the podcast, but I hadn't had you back to chat about it. And you know, with with the skill sets you've had tied to capital markets, I thought it would be just good to to kind of talk again. So so here we are. And I think if you you know. People, longtime listeners probably are aware of your background, but if you want to give a little bit of your background before we get started as well, what you did at NCUA, that would be great. Okay, well, I spent 34 years with NCUA before I came to the other side and started working with you. During that time, about 10 years of it was as a capital market specialist. The last 11 years of my career, I was a director of special action, supervising capital market specialists. Early in my career, I was a problem case officer. I had a lost year where I spent a year at Westcor after we conserved them. But basically the last 21 years, you can say I was working almost exclusively in capital markets issues and with troubled credit unions and supervising people that dealt with troubled credit unions and capital market issues. So it was a fun, enjoyable career. And it's enjoyable to look back on it, and it's enjoyable to share what we learned and hopefully help people out here today in the current world. Yeah, that's that sounds great. And, you know, I think I think we're going to come up with a title, but the title of this podcast may be Model Risk, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about. I know in the conversations we we had with that risk auditing group and with that we've had with some of our clients, um, there's a lot of models that credit unions rely upon, and with what's happened in the world of interest rates recently because of the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, 
some of those models are being challenged in ways that they hadn't been recently. So with that, Todd, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you to kind of paint the picture of where where we're at right now. Well, we have a presentation with this, and I don't know if you're gonna put it in your show notes and allow people to see it, but we have some slides that have some graphical data and the first one we shared with people, this is a slide that goes all the way back to 1979 and up through December of 2022, but it graphs out basically Fed funds, two-year treasuries, 10-year treasuries, and inflation rates. And it's somewhat interesting, a lot of what is going on in 2022, you know, the world was caught by surprise at how fast the Federal Reserve raised Fed funds rates and how fast interest rates went up. And a lot of that was also to control inflation, which rose very fast over the last year and a half. It's interesting if we go back and look over time, in general, interest rates have almost always been above inflation levels. So if you wanted to be a conservative investor, you could go buy a two-year treasury and you will yield a little bit more than inflation on a risk-free basis. That hasn't been true for pretty much the last 10 years. So savers have been really punished the last 10 years. They haven't even earned inflation rates on safe savings. It also speaks to what's going on. In the past, for the Federal Reserve to get control of rising inflation, they've had to get their Fed funds rates well above that inflation rate to bring it under control. They're not above it yet. Their last rate increase has got Fed funds about even with inflation. If inflation trends down, we might not get another Fed funds increase. But based on historical averages, that Fed funds rate probably has to go up at least one more time before they get control of inflation. Now, you they know, create a lot of issues with their rising rates. And, you know, there's always winners and losers when they do that. And we'll see politically if they raise rates one more time or not. But, you know, that that statement stood out to me when 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 you were mostly chatting with the with the risk officers that the Fed funds rate has to get above the inflation rate to tame it. And and like you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of related challenges that having raised this raise the rates as they have. We've had a lot of clients since who has been dealing with a lot of credit unions that have had to deal with NEV challenges, liquidity challenges, all sorts of, of capital markets related issues, not, not to mention what happened in the banking world, which we're going to get into a little bit. So fascinating, fascinating how that all is working together. And there's a little bit of pressure, you know, the, 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 there's a little bit of pressure on the on the Fed while they're trying to tame inflation to not create any more banking issues. There were there was testimony last week. All the banking regulators were up talking to both the House and the Senate. So I, all eyes are on on this right now from both sides. Well, it's not an easy time for policymakers. I mean, any decision they make is going to create winners and losers and. You know, I think when they started raising their Fed funds, they didn't anticipate that there was going to be some bank failures out of it. Or maybe they did and they were willing to accept that. They just didn't think the costs were going to be as high as they're proving to be. I don't know. I don't know any of them personally, so I don't know what goes through their thought processes. But it's certainly a challenging time for them. And, you know, they're hearing it from all sides. It doesn't matter what they and They're going to get criticism from multiple directions, whatever they choose to do. Yeah, there's a lot of blame to grow around, a lot of criticism going around right now, for sure. So 
So we talked through that slide. I think the next slide that we we had some talking points we wanted to go through related to what's been going on in 2023. We've touched on a little bit of that. Is there anything anything from the, the, the slide that we have called 2023 so far that you'd like to, to speak to, Todd? No, we'll run through them just really quickly, just so the listeners can see them, but they're all challenges. And we talked about it would be challenging to be a policymaker, but, you know, based on things they did in 2022, you know, NCUA has said for our, their credit and clients, interest rate risk and liquidity is going to be a priority here in 2023. You have a lot of these interest rate risk changes that have created liquidity challenges for credit unions. Then we have our bank failures. There's been four of them so far. You mentioned PacWest. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal today about how volatile their stock prices are. But, you know, we've had three big failures. And at the end of the day, NCUA is just nervous. They're watching what's going on with these bank failures. We'll talk a little bit later in this presentation about, you know, Credit's decision-making in 2021 and 2022. You talked about that on a previous podcast with your friend Mark from Olden Lane. People might listen to that. He does a good job of articulating some of the decision-making that institutions went through during COVID and post-COVID. And then there's kind of a big one that the regular that you have on this slide that the regulators are facing. And this is a challenge for everyone. And that's a lack of experience in their staff in a recessionary period. And we'll talk about that more later in the presentation. It's not just regulators that are lacking that experienced staff. I think a lot of financial institutions are, are if they have it, they have forgotten about it because it's been so long since they've had to face these conditions. Right, uh, right. Well said. Yeah, and you, I think you're referring to episode 101 with Olden Lane, Mike Macchiarola. We talked about NCUA's takeaways from NCUA's annual report. But one of the things you just said, we also mentioned there, which was a difficult time to be a policymaker right now. That's a fact. Yeah. And he did a good job of articulating kind of what happened with institutions balance sheets over the last couple of years. So a refresher, listening to that, people may find that of interest. We'll talk about some of the same stuff today, but people might enjoy listening to that podcast as well if they haven't heard it already. Very good. Very good. And so, you know, we mentioned interest rate risk is NCUA's priority one. What do you, any, anything we want to touch on there? Well, it's just, you know, the pace of the Fed's interest rate increases. They haven't done anything like this since the 1980s. So, you know, I don't think there's very many people that have been around 40 years that have faced those rapid pace of interest rate increases. Now, back then, you know, they went way up to double digits because they had double digit inflation, but just the rate of increases of how fast they raise rates, we haven't seen that since the 1980s. And I don't think in retrospect that most institutions were expecting them to raise rates that quickly. I think everyone knew rates were going to rise. I just don't think anyone expected 450 basis points in 12 months. Yeah, early 80s, I was spending a lot of time at Bullwinkle's Bar on Seven Corners at the University of Minnesota back then, so I wasn't thinking much about, about these challenges, I know that. Here's my thought in 1980, I started college, and in the early 80s, we could flip our apartment like every six months and get a nicer place for cheaper <laughs> during the recession. I like that, I like that, very good. Yeah. 
But, you know, the big thing with this rapid rise of rates, you know, it's just caught credit by surprise. Investments are all underwater. So this whole tool to raise liquidity has been diminished from them. The bank failures are bringing attention to everyone on the part of customers and consumers. So a lot of uncertainty as to where we go in the future. No one expected what happened last year. It's going to be hard to predict what's going to happen here in 2023. Just the next few days with the whole deficit negotiations between the White House and, and the Republicans is, makes for interesting times alone. It, it sure does. And you think that they'll never let it go off a cliff. But, in the, you know, with where politics is today, heaven only knows. So, Todd, there, there's a lot of what's going on, you know, that from the credit union perspective. There's what we have from our perspective uh, as ex-NCUA. But what, what would you say that the folks at NCUA are seeing right now? So here's, we can break some things down. When you look at NCUA, they have all their own risk model or risk management models. They have their own reports they watch. They pay really attention to what's going on with credit balance sheets and aggregate. And so here's what the regulators see. They see this mismatched loan and share growth. Loans grew 20% in 2022. Shares only grew 3%. Net long-term assets are at a 10-year high. Real estate loans are at their highest level since 2013. Fixed rate real estate loans are at their highest level in 10 years. Um, we have this extension of investment portfolios. The amounts in the over five year, under five years are declining, while the investment maturities over five years are growing at double-digit paces. Some of that is extension. We have volatile funding growth. CDs were up 19%. Non-member deposits were up 90%. Borrowings up 100% in 2022. You know, these are all warnings about liquidity issues. And at the same time, on balance sheet liquidity, that cash and short-term investments are at a 10-year low. And then we have earnings volatility. Prior to COVID, the trading industry was knocking out 90 basis points. During COVID, that fell down into 70 basis points. Then for one year in 2021, we had a good earnings year. Earnings were over 100 basis points, 107 basis points. And then in 2022, it dropped down to 89 basis points. And all the COVID deposit growth, it also called caused capital levels to drop the last few years. You know, back in 2019, net worth levels were at 11.3. It's down to 10.7 now. And then that gap equity ratio, which is even a bigger one, you know, in 2019, it was at 11.2. At the end of 22, it's down to 8.78. And it isn't because of losses. It's strictly because of the devaluation of investment portfolios and, and growth levels during those COVID years. So NCUA just sees a lot of volatility and they're looking at it. Well, interest rates are probably going to continue going up. Why are credit unions expanding their long-term assets at a rapid rate and just taking on an ever-increasing amount of interest rate risk? And so they're nervous. Yeah, they are nervous. What's going they on with credit unions balance sheets don't necessarily make sense to them as regulators when they look at the big picture. And then the one thing, you know, with those numbers, the earnings number is going, going down and then going back up and then going back down. Virtually none of that 
relates to asset quality from the perspective of, of loan losses, right? Maybe, maybe the year that it was 70 basis points, people juiced the allowance because they thought COVID was going to have loan losses. And maybe there was a little bit of recovery of that, but actual, you know, real economic pain from loan losses is in none of those numbers. And I think that's probably one of the things they're nervous about. Any thoughts on that? I was kind of nervous about that when I chose to retire in 2021. I didn't want to work 60 hour weeks again when we fall, it fell into recession and you can see it coming. You know, the other side of this is you just look at, you know, banks are pulling away from indirect lending. Credit unions jumped in with both feet and grew that very rapidly. Banks are pulling away from some of the commercial real estate, at least in the states where you have clients that commercial real estate category is growing. So credit unions are growing when, you know, you read articles every day about the risk to commercial real estate and vacancies. So those are all things that make NCUA nervous. I guarantee you they're nervous about asset quality issues. And if we tip into a recession of what's going to happen to asset quality, credit unions already have some liquidity challenges. Asset quality just makes those grow geometrically. So, yes, I am sure they are very worried about an impending recession. And you, you mentioned commercial, commercial loans. And, and like you said, I've, you know, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, everybody seems to think that commercial is going to be a big challenge, whether, whether it's tied to the office buildings that are vacant because of COVID or because of a recession that's going to lead to some other issues. And I have three or four other podcasts I did with Vin Veeton, who helped, who was a main architect of the commercial loan rule. I'm probably going to reissue some of those as, as, a, as a rerun midweek. If you're listening to this, you may see those hitting, hitting the airwaves here on the podcast continuum, just because I think there's going to be some pressure in that arena. And I want to remind the listeners that those podcasts are out there. I think it'll be interesting for NCUA. It's going to be like other recessions. It's going to be location specific. You're going to have geographic areas that are going to have issues with it. Other areas will be fine. The thing is, is none of us have crystal balls and can figure out exactly which one of those areas are going to be good and which ones are going to go south on us. Right, right. Right. Well, like 08, 09, it was the sand states, right? That's where the challenges were. And Florida was one of those. I would bet that Florida economically is probably better positioned this go around. But where, where will the pockets be where there might be challenges? You're right. It's hard to predict that specifically. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about interest rate risk. We, 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 we want to talk a little bit about liquidity risk. And I know model risk is how, how we teed this up. So let's, let's, Todd, I'm going to turn the floor over to you to talk about model risk. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about model risk, and we're going to talk about all the credit union's decision support tools a little bit. We'll emphasize the interest rate liquidity risk pieces because those rates are relatively high right now due to uncertainty in the market. I think model risk from an NCUA perspective is underappreciated. They talk around it. I think a lot of decisions that credit unions and banks made are model risk related and maybe mistakes and how they're using their models. And, and in some cases, I think the regulators encourage some of these 
model misuses due to their own inexperience as well, or some of their own policies have led to some model risk issues. But maybe just to start out with model risk, we throw out a short definition. The OCC actually has a really good handbook on model risk. It's a whopping 109 pages of information and best practices. There's also some specific letters that have been issued by supervisory guidance have been issued over the years on model risk, but kind of to define a model, it's a representation of real world relationships. And it's a simplified representation of what are really complex relationships. A lot of interest rate risk and liquidity models, you're trying to model human behavior in a very simplistic format and human behavior is not simple but our models tend to be simple. Even though there's thousands of assumptions in there, you know, compared to real world, they're still simplified representations of real world. And there's a lot of adverse consequences to using a model inappropriately. Basically reach some adverse decisions and it can come from a lot of different directions. You can misread a report that's right. You can misuse model outputs. You can have incorrect assumptions. One of the things the regulators tend to overlook or NCUA overlooks is the limitations to these models. They put a lot of policy guidance and they place a lot of emphasis on how they rate risk based on these models. And sometimes they just overlook that these models have limitations and they bet a lot on models that have limitations and they often overlook some of those limitations. They don't have better ways to make decisions, the better ways to make decisions. And there's a lot of studies out there this that experience and real world experience will actually outperform good models most of the time because they know when to ignore the models and you just don't have that experience sometimes with the regulators. So they, they tend to overlook some of those limitations. And the other piece that the regulators tend to overlook is the costs. I mean, all these models that people use to make decisions and support their decisions, they have significant costs. These models are not cheap. The software is expensive. The computers to run them are expensive. And an often overlooked fact, fact is the people to run them, utilize them, report results are also very expensive. And regulators tend to overlook the fact that these things have significant costs where the institutions that are utilizing them, they tend to be cost conscious because they have earnings goals set by their, their boards and their business plans. And so they're cost conscious and sometimes regulators are not. It's very easy for institutions and for regulators and everyone just to sometimes forget how many models they're using to make decisions. I mean, your budget is a model, your financial forecasts are a model, you have your ALM models for interest rate risk, you have cash flow forecasts to assess liquidity, you have cost accounting reports. A lot of places have funds transfer pricing type models. You have collateral and large depositor information. You have loan origination and credit risk rating systems. You have credit risk mitigation reports and third-party dashboards with that. CECL is a new model for funding your AFLL, and I think there will be lots of emphasis on that in the next two or three years. And 
that's supposedly projecting life of lost loans. And we'll just see what our economic volatility does to the volatility of funding in your CISO and your AAAL, because that's going to be a big challenge and regulators will be paying attention to that. You got charge-off models for your larger credits. you have capital models. And then a lot of these models are fed by third-party models and other ones. You got prepayment forecasts feeding into ALM models. You got credit risk forecasts feeding into these capital models. You get third-party market valuations from different things for real estate loans, loans you're thinking about selling, mortgage servicing rights, intangible assets, QSO valuation. All those are other pieces of information that kind of feed into that whole decision support system. And I think it's very challenging that a lot of creditors don't realize how much model risk they have when they have all these different models and they don't ever really stop and analyze how are we using them all. But here's one thing, and I've said it to other clients of yours, and I've said it to the group of the chief risk officers, the big things institutions need to ask themselves, is there one version of the truth within all their models? Are they telling you the same story? You have cash flows being measured in your ALM model and your cash flow forecast. Are they giving you the same numbers? Right. And it, and if you and if different departments or different people are responsible for different models in, in their vacuum, in their world, their, you know, the, the 10, the 20, the 30 assumptions that they use for their model all make sense to them. But there may be a, an actual assumption used in a different model that might actually be a better assumption because that other person has access to some information that this other, you know, the, the, the person who's doing the budget, for example, or the person who's doing Cecil, which, which really kind of goes to, you know, as, as, as you're talking through that, we, we've said on different podcasts that NCUA doesn't really require enterprise risk management. But if you have every one of those models that, that you just mentioned, uh, one way to get one version of the truth is to have a good enterprise risk management program and a committee or a group that is privy to all that information so that you can make sure that you only have that one version of the truth. Truth, And I can, I can remember being you know, executive director and an NCUA board member would be getting ready to testify and they, they, the testimony would come up and, and they'd say, you, you know, okay, delinquency on commercial loans was 1.46% at the end of 2022. And the board member will say, well, last week you prepared me for a speech and it was 1.53. Which one's right? And if you have two different numbers that you're giving me, what is, which one's the truth, right? And, and so totally, totally agree with the concept of having one version of the truth. But what, what about that? My, my comments as it relates to enterprise risk management, does that make sense to you? Well, when I was a director of special action started in 2010, if a billion dollar crediting came to me in special actions, they weren't leaving until an enterprise risk management process was in process of being implemented. I've seen this a lot during the last recession. You know, there are crediting out there that have had enterprise risk management systems going all the way back. I don't know, probably the first one I seen was around 2000 in my career. You mentioned the sand states. Let's just put it this way. I know a few crediting with enterprise risk management systems that avoided all the problems during the last recession. They work. And nowadays, risks are so interrelated and complex that I don't think it's a matter of whether NCUA regulates it or not. It's a matter of you're not going to survive if you don't have it. 
it becomes a competitive thing. And if you don't go down that path, you're going to make mistakes and, and miss risks. And there's no one person that can sit there and manage all the risk of organization faces now. And they're so interrelated that if you don't have a way to collate them and define those interrelationships, you are going to miss something. You are going to make mistakes. I just think the state of the world pretty much requires that now for even a medium-sized institution over a billion, a couple billion dollars. You know, it's not just the 200 billion or a trillion dollar folks like JP Morgan or you know, the credits and ones that are over 15 million. Now your balance sheets are just as complex when you're down there at a billion dollars and even smaller. And my view is if you're not moving down that path towards an enterprise risk management process, you're going to find yourselves leaving money at the table and making inappropriate strategic decisions at some point in time. No, it makes sense. And, and, you know, Again, just kind of thinking what's going on in the real world, and we'll get into this a little bit, but with, with social media and the impact social media has on people moving their deposits, if you, if you can't get all the people you know, on the phone or on a call or in a room where you're going, okay, some weird things are happening to our balance sheet, and you can't have that, that architecture and those dialogues that happen in enterprise risk management, you could end up making some wrong decisions based on some wrong data and not having all the right players at the table. Cause that's a big part of the enterprise risk management is making sure the right people are at the table so that they can have the influence on that program to make sure that, that, that when faced with a crisis, you have the right people and you have the right data to make the best decisions you can at that, at that point in time as well. Yeah. We'll talk about social media a little bit later in the presentation. We have kind of a slide on that because I think, People have to rethink some of their early warning indicators and how they might deal with the public because of that. And that's kind of a new lesson from SVP. It might yeah. get in the back of some people's minds, but I don't think people really thought through of how quickly social media can influence depositor behavior or investor behavior for people that are buying and selling stocks. Yeah, no, great point. Hey, that's it for this episode. Parts two and three will follow later this week. I appreciate you listening as always. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 